just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. Who are Kenyatta and Jack? We're just friends who are Gen Xers, former Air Force brats, parents, taxpayers, and citizens of the Earth. And we're here to save it one podcast at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting, nuanced, and thought-provoking episode of Kenyatta and Jed Save the World. (laughs) It is a Tuesday evening here in our part of the world, both of us, and I am Kenyatta, and with me, as always, is my delightful friend and co-host, Jack. Hi, Jack. Hey, I'm... I'm happy to be called delightful. That's very rarely <laughs> happens. I usually get called grumpy, uh, moody. Uh, honestly, I'm not sure of the other things that my wife calls me because generally I'm not listening because I I'm thought, a man. Yeah, I, I thought that. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I have ADHD, and so sometimes that first part when she comes in the room, I just don't hear. But I'm I'm gonna take delightful and stick with that. I'm gonna have a shirt made. Matter of fact, I'm just gonna send her a note and be like, "Call Jack delightful one day and see if he responds, and then we'll really know." <laughs> yes, yes, we'll really know the truth. <laughs> yes, <laughs> she's gonna be like, "What? <laughs> Why are you calling him delightful? Have y'all met?" <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness! Yes, that should be a fun experiment. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Made myself yeah. a note. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we're here once again on the on at the end of another exciting drama filled day in the in the world of of the world. <laughs> that yeah, makes sense. In the world sense. of the world. In the world of the world, because I. Uh, I had a thought the other day that there's a certain faction of the population here in our blessed United States of America that simply want to return to the good old days where women and people of color knew and stayed in their place. And I I feel strongly that every day that goes by, that's another degree or another second that we turn back the clock. Yeah. Yeah. You know when, um, you know the show Handmaiden's Tale? Of course. So when it first came out, one of the big things that a lot of uh, commentators on the left were commenting on about how, you know, this is a possible future if... A, B, and C happens. And I, at the time, I was kind of like, well, I don't know if it would really be possible to enact and go back to all of these rules. But you know what? Four years since that show started, or three and a half, whatever it is, and I'm like, oh, yep, nope, that's where they're driving towards. They they are driving towards the world of The Handmaiden's Tale. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I kind of had the same thought myself when I first started watching the show. I mean, just for what it's worth, uh, it's an excellent show. It's well done. 
and the lead actress is she's bomb chef's kiss mm-hmm. but i was of the same mind when i first started watching i'm like this is wild could this really happen one day and the thing of it was the changes started so gradually like one morning you know folks woke up and women can no longer spend their own money they yeah. didn't have access to their own bank accounts and then you know a week or two later all of a sudden women couldn't work anymore they were unceremoniously fired from their jobs and then you know sometime after that every doctor's appointment that they went to they had to be accompanied by you know their husband or a male chaperone or some sort of thing it was just like gradual the way they built it up in the show to finally show you you know the current point in time where women because there's there was issues apparently with um fertility in this in this dystopian fictional future world and so every woman that was fertile and, and could have kids which the main character had a kid so it was proven that she was fertile her and other women that were capable of reproducing were all herded and i say herded like you know cattle right and turned into these these so-called handmaids and their their sole goal was to um have babies for influential government officials within those those are the only kind of people that apparently deserve to have kids so they are the only ones that had handmaids but well yeah i mean poor people wouldn't need wouldn't shouldn't have kids i mean geez how crazy a thought is that and any and any kids when this new government overtook the current government and, and established themselves all the kids that were alive at the time were snatched from their birth parents and placed with other parents so even people that had kids like the main character her own kid was snatched from her and placed with another family and the child was so young when it happened when she finally got the chance to see the girl again the girl didn't remember it was like yeah when i tell you this show like kicks you in your teeth every other episode it really does but it's worth it (laughs) (laughs) well yeah especially since that's the road certain parties driving us towards mm-hmm. heavens to betsy so for, for the longest time i thought both political parties were driving america off a cliff they were heading towards a cliff to drive off of for the longest time i thought one group is in like a greyhound bus and the other group is in a jumbo jet mm-hmm. And then when they get to the edge of the cliff, the wings are going to fall off. And yeah. I've since realized that I had it wrong on who was in the jet. Previous <laughs> me. You know, to about 2014-ish me. And oh boy. while I still don't necessarily think both parties are necessarily great, um, the party that is in the jumbo jet is definitely the Republicans. And honestly, I'm not so sure at this point if the Democrats bus that they're driving us on even has like, I think a couple of the wheels are flat and it's moving even slower because a lot of the Democrats just don't seem to be aggressive enough in pointing out the bullshit of the Republican Party. And for the life of me, I cannot imagine why, because 
the disrespect and the bullshit is blatant. Like there's no, there's no more explaining it away or avoiding it via ignorance anymore. There's none of that. It's yeah. there. It's in your face. And y'all still aren't talking about it. You yeah. still aren't condemning them like you should be. No, this is this is Pat. We're past the time for strongly worded email. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> and when you have their propaganda arm that's called Fox News and OAN that are just mm. blatantly you know, when you're a host on a news network and your host is generally referred to in the Washington Beltway as the shadow chief of staff for the president, there's a problem. You know, but Sean Hannity, I wasn't very close with the Trump administration. Then why did they call you the shadow chief of staff? And now, there, of course, there are text messages of him taking direct orders from Mark Meadows, Mr. Illegal Voter himself. Mm, mm, mm. But again, all of that is assumptions and conjecture. And you're just pulling stuff out of your butts now. It's not actual, factual, real things, according to them. Yeah, don't don't believe those text messages that that you saw. Pay no mind to the man behind the curtain. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, well, while our houses get continuously snatched up and thrown by the doggone tornadoes. That's right. Yeah. Pay no attention, though. Yeah. Everything. Everything's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Although, to be fair, you know, at this point, we're a year and some months past when they started giving the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And since seniors got the vaccine first and a lot of the seniors and boomers are homeowners, they should be the ones that should start to die. Because remember the anti-vaxxers were saying that this vaccine is designed to start killing people after a year. Right? So we should start seeing people croaking from the vaccine. And since they're all seniors, they should be the ones that should be starting to croak. So my thing about this is, if the seniors would just start croaking from the COVID vaccine, the housing market would have a bust because all of a sudden there would be a lot of houses for sale from the home, the people that own them dying from getting their vaccine. And so the housing market should bust from all of these boomers dying from their COVID vaccines. Oh, better not let that happen, man. They better think something. So, you know, can they hurry up and start dying from what they said was going to happen so this housing bubble will will pop? Oh, I just, my face hurts again because. (laughs) Obviously, I'm joking, but. (laughs) No, I mean, you're joking, but the people, there's somebody out there that's saying something relatively close to that. Again, you know, coasting on this whole, the pandemic was a hoax and there's no such a thing and blah, blah, blah. They're still coasting on this over two years later. They're still coasting on it and will fight people to the death. They will die on that hill. No pun. They will die on that hill of belief. Like there's no such thing. There's no virus. There's no pandemic. Masks never worked. So on, so forth. Yada. I don't. Yep. Mm-mm. Yep. 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 
tell you. Just, yeah. Ugh. I know. The whole world is a giant WTF moment, it seems like. <laughs> it just ebbs and flows. It just varies by degrees. It never not, it's never not a WTF moment. It just varies by degrees, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Speaking okay. of WTF moments, mm-hmm. I, I know that you have one that um, might anger you as you're talking about it. So the question is, since you're going to get slightly irritated, do you want to go first so you can calm down during mine when I discuss t- tonight's topic? Yeah, we can go that route. We can do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm uh, I'm just going to sit here and, and, and enjoy the next few minutes of you ranting about what you're about to discuss. <laughs> Indeed. I... And my face hurts. Um, I got, listening friends, you're probably going to hear me say that probably quite a bit today because it's just ill, just ill. So, as of the day that we're uh, recording, uh, which again is Tuesday, apparently there has been a leaked draft of a Supreme Court opinion concerning Roe versus Wade. And I'm going to go ahead and say that unless you were born yesterday, you have heard about Roe versus Wade to some degree, about what it's about, what it concerns, that has been in existence for nearly 50 years. Um, and to put it in perspective, Jack and I were born just after that became law. So we lived a lifetime knowing about this law and what it does for women i'm sorry i should amend that what it does for people with a uterus there so basically though the supreme court has been um sitting on or talking about issuing an opinion on whether or not to keep uh, roe versus wade as it is and apparently a draft of their opinion was leaked today which apparently they're going to investigate that leak not like it matters. Uh, Chief Justice John Roberts said they're investigating it with all the seriousness it deserves, yada, yada. And it's a draft, but it's pretty much accurate. So we're going to take that to mean that as soon as the official opinion comes out, it's pretty much going to be the same, which is that the Supreme Court is turning off, turning over legislation of abortion and abortion rights from a federal issue to a state's issue, which is disconcerting uh, because again, if, if you've been paying attention here as of late in the last few years, as of right now, from the information I have, 23 states have laws that can be used to restrict the legal status of abortion, which means to some degree or another, these states have implemented certain laws that restrict women in receiving legal safe abortions, which Mm -hmm. could be in terms of time frame uh, as early as six weeks. Hmm. Some have 12 weeks. Most of them have late term restrictions, which makes sense. 
Mm-hmm. But the vast yes. majority of these states that have passed laws as of late have made the time restrictions so time restrictions or condition restrictions. I'll put it that way. The six week restriction is nonsense because most of the states that use that as a, as a, as a guideline state that according to, to science and uh, medicine, blah, blah, a heartbeat can be first heard at six weeks. That's not entirely accurate. No, it because, is not. Because at six weeks after conception, there is no heart that's formed. There's a certain kind of... Um, it's an electrical have, pulse. Thank you. That some people take as being a heartbeat, but there is no heart to be beating at that time. So that's a fallacy that these lawmakers pin their their opinions and then in turn force these laws through saying hey this 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 fetus is already alive it's already a person so to speak and i won't get into that part of the argument at all right but that's what they're basing a lot of these laws on what what at what time frame during the pregnancy that particular that fetus becomes viable and then you also have those conditional laws that say well, a woman can't get an abortion unless it's a matter of rape or incest, or if it's a if there's going to be um, a risk of life on the mother's part, things of that nature. My thing is, and has been, and always will be. Nobody, nobody, has the right to dictate what a person with a uterus can do with that uterus, but that person with the uterus. It is nobody else's business. It is not your next door neighbors. It's not the conservative women's group. It is not the bunch of ashy old white guys sitting up (laughs) in our federal government. Nobody has the right to tell anyone what to do with themselves this is probably one of the most personal decisions anyone could probably ever make and that includes however you identify i don't know and i i have known some some women who do identify as women you know what they call cis hetero women i do know some women who have had it and not one of them treated that decision lightly it's not a joke it's not a form of birth control. I don't care about the nonsense that these rabid conservative types like to put out there. This is like disturbing to me that this law is going to be overturned because I feel a lot of states are just going to go for it once this oh. gets finalized. They're going to go for it and they're going to slap so many nonsense restrictions. And I, I fear for women that because regardless of whether or not it's le- whether regardless of whether or not it's legal because before it was legal women were still having it done unfortunately mm-hmm. a lot less safely that's yes. what Roe versus Wade was to intend to allow women to do it safely and legally not in a dirty back alley or somebody's kitchen or you know something something like that so it bothers me that this can lead us like we were saying earlier, backwards, back to those times where women or people with uteruses, is it uteruses or uteri? 
I don't know. That I don't know either. I'm gonna make a note. Anyway, is it going to is it going to spin the clock backwards and force women or people that have unplanned and unexpected and unwanted pregnancies? Is it gonna force them to go yes. back? I'm mean, that that frightens me, you know? And it should frighten yeah. most of us, actually. Woman, male, however you identify, it should it should frighten a lot of people because if the federal government can say, eh, it's not our problem anymore, which basically, if they overturn, that's what they're saying. It's not our problem. We'll leave it to the states. We've already seen how the states are trending and how they're going to end up addressing this issue in the future. And that's frightening to me. Yeah, yeah. And <sighs> the uh, the Oklahoma governor today just signed uh, almost identical law of the ones in Texas. That's the bounty law. And that was after passing what was essentially the most restrict the restrictive a month ago. Mm -hmm. um, but one of my thoughts on this is that, and I believe this a lot more strongly than I would have say three years ago. You could probably take a majority of these male legislators, give them a picture or a series of pictures of a six week old human fetus, a six week old horse fetus six-week-old dolphin fetus, chicken, dog. And I guarantee you 90% of them could not pick out the human fetus at six weeks, the equivalent sure. six weeks. You know, so yeah. that that's the problem. If you can't identify what a human fetus looks like at six weeks, the problem starts there. And I promise you, most of them could not identify that. Mm -hmm, absolutely and then oh no go ahead no no go ahead i'm sorry well i was going to read something that's uh going to take a minute or so to read so go ahead and say your point and then when you're done i'll read what i was going to read my thing is it's not just when we talk about that six week so-called benchmark it's not just that there's you know a hot debate on whether or not that's a the earliest time frame that they they can declare viability it's the fact that an expecting mother often doesn't know she's pregnant. Not at six weeks. Until then. That is probably yeah. the earliest. You find out you're pregnant and you're like, oh shit, I got 20 minutes. Basically. Like, what is that? That is no time at all to sit down and contemplate such a serious decision. And that's exactly the way they intended, obviously. Yeah. So, yeah. like, like I said, for, for, this group of so-called lawmakers. I can't even call this a law. I just, I call it like human bondage or something equivalent to that. These so-called lawmakers to be so concerned what another person is doing with their own body. It is mind boggling. Like, I, yeah, I would, be, <laughs> I would be curious to find out what abortion laws were like, say in Iraq under Saddam Hussein. And I'm not meaning that smart, assy, or sarcastically, because when we invaded Iraq, it was legal to get tattoos in Iraq, and it was not legal to get tattoos in the state of Oklahoma. <laughs> right? And we mm -hmm. were going into Iraq to give them freedom, theoretically. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a podcast for a different day. Mm -hmm. um, but 
you know, at the time, my point was, which when I sent emails to every legislator about that, when because they were contemplating legalizing tattoos in Oklahoma, I was like, you mean to tell me that Iraq has a freedom that we don't have here in the United States of America, in the state of Oklahoma? Right? So that's why I'm asking this. We're, are we going to... <laughs> to something that was that's more restrictive than something was under one of the more brutal dictatory regimes that you know the world has had that is that's a mind blower of a thought it really is like to think that bit by bit by bit and i'll say i'll say it again bit by bit by bit you know, that particular group of old white men are saying, I need everybody, and I, I should, I'm going to amend what I said earlier, actually, everybody who's a woman, uh, who identifies as a woman, who doesn't identify strictly as a man, who is a person of color, who is, who, who makes less than this amount of money a year, who practices this religion, so and so and so and so and so and so and so. We're going to put you in your lane and we're going to remind you to stay there every chance we get. And this is one of those ways. They yep. just keep going and going and it just, they just keep compressing and compressing and compressing until there's no room left for anybody to breathe yep. except them. And then they were like, well, we're doing it for everyone's own good. Yeah. Yeah. Except for you're not, which, <laughs> which ties in. Um, this is what I wanted to read. Mm -hmm. And it's often the, we've discussed it, I believe, but it's the thought of what happens after the baby is born. Mm -hmm. But this is worded far more elegant than I could word it. And so, um, ironically enough, this was on my uh, Facebook feed today and I saw this. Um, and it says that it is a quote by Christian pastor Dave Barnhart. I do not know if this is true or not if it is actually from him i did not have time to go and verify if it did or not mm. but it says it's from him so i'm going to give him the credit <laughs> and so i'm going to uh read this this bit now and i i think you'll agree with it the unborn are a convenient group of people to advocate for they never make demands of you they are morally uncomplicated, unlike the incarcerated, addicted, or the chronically poor. They don't resent your condescension or complain that you are not politically correct. Unlike widows, they don't ask you to question patriarchy. Unlike orphans, they don't need money, education, or child care. Unlike aliens, they don't bring all that racial, cultural, and religious baggage that you dislike. They allow you to feel good about yourself without any work at creating or maintaining relationships. And when they are born, you can forget about them because they cease to be unborn. It's almost as if, by being born, they have died to you. You can love the unborn and advocate for them without substantially challenging your own wealth, power, or privilege, without reimagining social structures, apologizing, or making reparations to anyone. They are, in short, the perfect people to love if you want to claim you love Jesus, but actually dislike people who breathe. Prisoners, immigrants, the sick, the poor, widows, orphans, 
All the groups that are specifically mentioned in the Bible, they all get thrown under the bus for the unborn. End quote. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh goodness. To add to that, <clears throat> if, if folks were truly concerned about unborn children as they claim to be what how are you advocating or what what are our, our friendly neighborhood lawmakers doing to shore up social services let's say because uh, oftentimes unfortunately unplanned pregnancies do happen to women who are not financially able to handle child raising a child so what happens when that, that woman is forced to have that, that child and has trouble caring for herself, that child, and maybe other children before that? What happens when she can't care for her financially? Are She's these freeloading. Yeah. Are these lawmakers going to shore up social services? Have any story? Well, no. You see. That's how much you don't care about children. Damn it, Kenyatta, they have to pull themselves up by the bootstraps. <laughs> the little tiny baby bootstraps. <laughs> and them too. Oh. Never mind that they may only have, you know, flip-flops for shoes. Exactly. And those are the ones made out of used tires. Never mind that. <laughs> yeah, they, they got them at Dollar Flip-Flop Day at Old Navy. Like... Does some lawmaker imagine himself going up to to some random child one day? Do you know I advocated for you to be born? And that child is, well, thanks a lot, and then slaps him dead in the face. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That kid's like, thanks a lot. My mom's a crack whore. I mean, what? Like you, you can't. Like I said, you can. You like just like that quote says, you can advocate because I can't push back. I can you can advocate for me because you can go ahead and act like you're speaking in my stead for my benefit when I don't even know I exist at this point. You yeah. know? Come on. Yeah, yeah. That's uh I'm I'm glad to see though that through this your head has stayed together. It did not explode. I'm not gonna tell you how tight my jaw got clenched up, but <laughs> I'm gonna just, I'm gonna work that out while uh, we listen to your WTF moment because I'm beginning to like this particular story as it goes <laughs> on. So yes. <laughs> okay, so the House Select Committee investigating the January sixth insurrection in what is an extreme rarity has requested three members of the House testify before them. That is incredibly rare. It, in fact, it may not have even happened. I don't know before. Mm, mm. Um, and they have sent letters requesting the voluntary cooperation of Representative Mo Brooks, who we've discussed before, Andy Biggs, and Ronnie Jackson. They were three congressmen that were part of strategizing ways to not certify Joe Biden's certification of the election. <laughs> And, yes. and they had 
they were apparently in contact with some of the groups that were planning the January 6th rallies, as they called them. And we've discussed Mo Brooks before, who of course has maintained that it was incredibly peaceful, even though he gave his speech wearing a bulletproof vest, because everybody knows that peaceful events require bulletproof vests. That's why all Boy Scout leaders wear them. And so they have all been. <laughs> Do bulletproof vests stop arrows? Because that's that's I a would, feasible. That was a feasible reason for Boy Scout troop leaders I, to wear. I would have to say, possibly. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um. So apparently today, all three of these representatives have declined to. Um, testify and that's probably because they're guilty as hell hmm. the thing is what we have pretty much should come to expect from this committee is they do not request somebody to testify until they have all of the knowledge pretty much of what the person said and did and I think it's so they can catch that person in a lie but they have most of that information. Shy of like a thousand text messages from Mark Meadows. They have a lot of this information. And they have text messages from these people, I guess, to some of these proud boys and Oath Keepers and yada, 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 yada. I mean, the one of these groups, Oath Keepers, actually was going to provide security for Mo Brooks. Why would a member of Congress who naturally get security from the Capitol Police, need security from these groups, unless they had planned something violent and they knew that they needed to keep one of their own safe from their own. Because they, they had a feeling that things would be so bad that they needed to have people around him so they could basically be like, nope, nope, he's one of ours. Right? Hmm. So there's all of that, and... I'm fairly certain that the January 6th committee knows a large chunk of what happened because several of the Oath Keepers and Proud Boys have basically just blabbed. But here's where it gets interesting. Mo Brooks was the dude that put out that release that, that says, They were basically just tourists walking through the stanchions in the Capitol. They were not bad people at all. You would not know that anything happened, except for they broke broken glass. Well, him and the other two fellows from January 7th until January 19th were pressuring Mark Meadows and the Trump administration to give them preemptive pardons for their involvement in January 6th. Mm -hmm. So my question is, if you did not do anything that was illegal, why would you need a pardon? Right? I will I will address that mostly rhetorical question with an antidote that is pop culture related because that's what I do. Uh, feel free. <clears throat> I don't know if you remember it was a good quality science fiction movie, uh, Minority Report with Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah, pre-crime. Yeah. So here's the fun part. Do you remember where the pre-crime 
division was based in? Was it not? Was DC. it DC? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, let's just say we take that completely fictional police division right. made up of three mental adaptives who could predict future violent crimes. Let's take that fictional scenario and plop it right down in the middle day of modern DC. Do you think they would like go crazy with all the future crimes that they can see? Oh my God. Yeah. No kidding. Ugh. Like, and I'm not, I'm saying, and I know in the movie, they were only supposed to predict violent crimes where someone was right. killed, but still. Yeah. Yeah. Like well, all the nonsense. Well, yeah, I mean, in here, apparently, this is one of the things that have come out. Uh, according to text messages in recent court filing, an unidentified Oath Keeper messaged the group chat that the Oath Keepers had on the afternoon of January 6th that Ronnie Jackson is inside his office in the Capitol and he needs help. Okay, anyone inside. And then the guy, uh... Stuart Rhodes, who I believe, yeah, the Oath Keepers leader. Um, and the, well, the next line is Dr. Ronnie Jackson on the move needs protection. If anyone inside can cover him, he has critical data to protect. And then Stuart Rhodes, the leader of the Oath Keeper, responded in text message, Give him my cell. Does that not just seem. Oh, I don't know. Bad. Just a smidge. From his point, no wonder he doesn't want to testify, right? Which, of course, was it last week where I said, or the, within the last two weeks where I was pointing out that, you know, that's probably why a lot of the Republicans didn't want a January 6th commission, because they didn't want their part of it to be exposed. I wonder how the sales of Maalocks and Tums and Pepto-Bismol, I wonder how the sales of that are doing in the local drugstores there in the D.C. area. I'm just curious. Well, you know, you live pretty close. You could go investigate it. I, do, I mean, somehow. <laughs> like, really. Like, make it like a whole weekend. Just go up there and just, you know, take random straw polls. Hey, to the clerk at Walgreens, have you noticed an uptick in the sale of over-the-counter stomach remedies? Because these motherfuckers. Yeah. Nervous. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, yeah, if you uh, want to look a little more into that, just Google Mo Brooks. That will pull up all of the Mo Brooks January 6th. That will pull up tons of articles about him and all of these things that have happened uh, in the last few weeks regarding this commission. And it's... It's shocking. I'm just sort of briefly touching on it because my point is you don't need a preemptive pardon if you've broken no law. You don't request a pardon if you've broken no law. That tells me they knew from the get-go they were engaged in illegal activity. And if you are in Congress and you are purposely trying to F up the government of the U.S. that you're a part of, it's a little worse than, say, the criminals still in gum from 7-Eleven. If you are declining aggressively 
to even testify at all in front of it. You know you've done something wrong. Just like you say, if you've done nothing wrong, you have nothing to be worried about. Yeah. You don't need to remember the truth. So yeah. there should be no issue with them getting up there and testifying. And there's, like you said, there sure shouldn't be any request to be pardoned. Pardoned from what? Yeah, That's why, do. I mean, it's it's all in one big basket. I didn't do anything, but I'm not going to talk about what I didn't do. And I need to be pre-forgiven for what I didn't do. Get it? Yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> No. Yeah. 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 I'm telling you, Maylox, their stock has gone up. I could check and, that out. And speaking of Maylox, what we're about to talk about is probably going to make you want to drink some Maylox as well. Either that or liquor. I don't have any liquor right in front of me. So that was a pretty good transition, though, wasn't it? It was. That was good. I give you, I give you, uh, give you an eight out of ten for that yeah thank you good. thank it's you good. i i saw my moment and i took it <laughs> you were aggressive <laughs> yes you you own that moment yes i i do so as everybody knows that listens to our show uh Kenyatta and i we're not afraid to talk about things and we think sometimes we may have exposed you to something that you were unaware of or didn't know about. And other times we're clearly just irritated about things in the world that you know about. <laughs> this may be one of those things that you might not be aware of. And that is basically in the U.S. right now, there is a group of people, I don't know if you would want to call them a class of people, I don't know, it's a group of people because this affects people of all races. And that is people that are in prison that are used uh, for work programs and the amount of money that they get paid while they're on these work programs. Now I'm sure some people might think, well, they're prisoners, who cares? They broke the law they're doing their time for the crime but a lot of these prisoners in a lot of ways it's in and i'm not ashamed to use this term it's almost modern day slavery and there are um contracts that are signed with corporations and the prisoners go and work these jobs. And the thing is, when you're a prisoner, you want to go work these jobs because it's better than being in the frickin' cell all day. But mm -hmm. so I'm going to use some stats from um, an article. It came out on January 8th, 2019. It's by Christopher Zukas. In the. It was in a. Uh, I guess a letter, something. It's called Prison Legal News, the Human Rights Defense Center. And the name of this article is Prison Work Programs, Cost-Effective Labor Pool or Slave Labor of Yesterday. And so these numbers are related to federal prison numbers, and they came from uh, the Bureau of Prisons. Mm -hmm. And so basically, if you are in a federal penitentiary and you are on a work program, prisoners get paid between 
23 cents an hour and a dollar 15 an hour and that was in you know probably 2018 the article came out in 2019 so that's probably 2018 2017 stats because mm. stats tend to run a you know a year or so behind mm-hmm. uh, which is fine but i doubt that you know the difference between 2017 and 2019 i doubt they gave prisoners a raise um i'm willing i'm willing to agree with that point yes <laughs> yeah i i don't think when they got their review they were like you know we're gonna bump you up from 23 cents to 30 we've reviewed your 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 uh your work performance this past year we we think it yeah. deserves a little something no Yes. No, I don't think that's happening there. Not in that environment. (laughs) So for an example of products that are made when you buy air filters that are made in the U.S., those were made in prison a lot of times. Which ones? Uh, You know, like for your your furnace and stuff like that, those type of air filters, those are frequently made in prison. So when you buy the three dollar cheapest air filter you can get at walmart chances are it was made in a prison by some guy that got paid you know i'll be generous and say 50 cents an hour and these companies have entered into contracts with the bureau of prison and for example um let's see here the federal prison industry is also known as unicor u-n-i-c-o-r and it invites businesses to use its skilled workforce at low labor rates, labor rates to take advantage of its cost-effective labor pool. It was created in 1934, so this has been around for a, a good chunk of time. And uh, where is it? Right here. So the agency had over 502 million in sales in fiscal year 2018. Dang. Yeah, and since 2011, Congress has also allowed the pin- prison industry program to produce and sell millions of dollars worth of prisoner manufactured goods to private companies. Military goods are produced by Unicor, and sometimes we even sell them to foreign governments. Oh, that doesn't surprise me, not one bit. <laughs> yeah, and so they basically say, you know, that as a U.S. citizen, we're selling stuff, but at offshore prices, that it's a win-win for everyone involved. Yeah, except for maybe the prisoners. Right. So, But of course, you know, as far as they're concerned, eh. Right. So there, <laughs> now, I will say there is a slight catch-22 in this, because at at some level, you are doing a job in a factory type situation that does require training to perform that job. True. And, and it could possibly be training in a job or an industry that you would not get otherwise. Mm-hmm. So I am not saying that it's like 100% evil because there is that aspect of it. And I do know that in the food service industry, a lot of people that work in kitchens got their start cooking in prison kitchens. Mm-hmm. However. <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> so I do get that part of it. In 
it, it's good to leave prison and have some sort of marketable skill. But <laughs> you should also get paid a decent amount of money, even if it was just minimum wage. Even if it was just seven twenty-five, can you imagine being in a prison work program for ten years? You know, and at twenty-three cents an hour, you've you've earned what thousand bucks? <laughs> I it's probably more than that. I, I I didn't math it out, but oh, you you want me to though? You want me to? <laughs> you know, obviously that's not three hundred and sixty-five days a year that you're you know working working that you know and i don't even know if it's eight hours a day uh, it probably is though hmm let's just suss that out let's just say it's even part-time so let's just say 23 cents times the, you know the average person gets paid every two weeks so we'll just use that formula so every two weeks you got a total of 40 hours roughly part-time right. work so that's nine dollars and twenty cents every, every two weeks. weeks. Yeah. Times uh twenty-seven. Uh, that's two hundred and forty-eight dollars um a, a year. year. Um so times let's say a dude gets a solid ten and he serves every bit of it. Oh look, that's about twenty five hundred dollars. Yeah, and guess what? He gets taxes taken out of that. Not to mention, <laughs> oh boy, not to mention if unfortunately he that that person doesn't have any like family or support system outside of prison, he's they're probably using that money to go to commissary, yeah, and, and buy things like that, right? So, and everything there is high, it's marked up like a mother, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, even if it was 40 hours a week, that's still only 5k over 10 years. Right. So, and then, yeah, once again, that's before taxes. Mm. So the reason why this irritates me and why I sort of complain it with slavery, and you're right, it, you are going to spend a lot of that probably at commissary. Mm -hmm. And so the problem, the way I, I see it, and it really kind of irks me is, say you get out at 10 years. You don't have $5,000. If you're lucky, you have $1,000. The best part of it is while it's sitting in your account, the government's earning the interest on it, not you. So there's also that. So say you leave, you do leave the prison. If you're lucky, you have $1,000. Well, you don't just leave prison on Monday and on Wednesday start a job at, you know, McDonald's or another factory doing whatever right it is difficult for someone coming out of prison to find a job and just and to come back what you said about them receiving some type of training in you know a manual labor field what good is it when they can't put it to use when right. the majority of the time the minute they're honest and tell the truth and say yes i've been convicted of a felony boom their right. chances of obtaining some kind of legit job that they can maintain a living with is slim to none. 
Right. Hmm. So you're in this situation, and if you have no family that you can, you know, sort of draw back on, mm-hmm. you may not even have anywhere to go. So you might get out of prison, and you're immediately homeless, and you have, you know, 500 bucks to your name. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't mean this shittily, because this is totally what I would do, right? So if I got out of prison at 2 o'clock Tuesday afternoon, at, and I have 500 bucks in my pocket, at 5 o'clock Tuesday afternoon, I'm at a steakhouse, right? So there's, there's 75 bucks gone right there. <laughs> and and I don't mean that like to be negative and be like, well, they should really, you know, be better with their money when they get out of prison. You were just in prison for ten years and you ain't had steak for ten years. You're gonna want steak. Yeah, you. And chances are you <laughs> haven't had anything decent in ten years. Exactly. <laughs> whether it be whether it be a steak or any kind of protein or even a potato or KFC, <laughs> something, something. So, that, I see where you're going. Yeah, I know you don't mean to be glib about it, and I can't, I can't begin to imagine what that would be like. Honestly, just and and once again, chances are probably strong that somebody getting out of prison within the first week of getting out might go to say a strip club, mm-hmm. or um, seek companionship in other avenues. Yes. <laughs> so. That 500 bucks, you know, unless you came out of prison and you're an incredible tightwad, you know, you get out of prison on Monday, it might all be gone by Friday. You may not make it to Friday night to go to the strip club because it might already be gone, which I understand. They're going to have the brunch buffet at the strip club on Tuesday afternoon. (laughs) Wait a minute. Strip clubs have brunch buffets? I've heard they do. Huh. Well, interesting. I don't know specifically (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, in all honesty, though, you you would probably want to go and attempt to get a cell phone. Because you can't survive in the modern world, at least in the U.S., without a cell phone. Mm -hmm. And even if you just do the pay-as-you-go type, you still got to buy the phone. Mm -hmm. So let's say you... Spend 50 bucks on the phone and 50 bucks buying minutes and data. Well, there's a hundred of your 500 gone. So now you got four. And if you have to go to a hotel, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, if you get a super cheap, super, super cheap hotel, you know, if you can get away with one for 50 bucks, you're doing well. Pretty much. Then you have to worry about clothes. Right. Because chances are the clothes that you came with came in with that have been sitting waiting for you are possibly out of style. Don't fit. Don't fit. Either you're either they're too big or too small or whatever the case may be. So yeah, need to upgrade a wardrobe. So that's probably another if you know how to shop and you can bargain hunt and you hit up Goodwill or a thrift store, yeah. then you maybe could get away with 70, 80 bucks. For a couple of changes of clothes. Yeah. Maybe. If you if Maybe. you have zero clothes, even going to a thrift store, you could easily spend 
we'll just be conservative and say 50 bucks. Mm. So we're, you know, a day and a half out from being out of prison. And if you're 500 bucks, if you have 250 of it, you're probably doing pretty good. And again, just like you said, now, what do you do from there on out? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, how, like, how far can you stretch that 250 bucks? Yeah. Because you're already behind the the eight ball mm -hmm. because you're a felon and it's harder to get jobs. Mm -hmm. And the way it's supposed to work in America is, is once you have done your time for your crime, you get a reset. But we all know darn good and well that you do not get a full reset. You may get a partial reset. Mm -hmm. Finding a job is difficult. So then you get, I guess the whole point of this is, for me anyway, is this modern day slavery of prisoners lead, you wonder why someone gets out of prison in a lot of time within a year, they're back in prison. Hmm. We're setting people up to go back to prison. Yeah. And I've heard it said that prison really is not about rehabilitation at all. It's I, just I, about warehousing people who broke the law. That's it. They're not concerned whether or not the person commits themselves to do better or whether or not they're going to ever commit a crime ever again. Because really, when you think about it, and I, I, it's going to be tricky with the way I say this, but I heard that when you think about people who commit violent crime, especially like murder, and you've got parole boards considering whether or not this person is still a threat to society. The thing is, is that they're really not. They were only a threat to the person they killed. Right. And I know that sounds harsh, but when you think about it in those kinds of terms, they probably are not a danger to society. They're more of a danger to themselves more than anything. Now, whether or not this person ends up in a prison that is actually actively committed to helping these prisoners rehabilitate, do they offer uh, further education opportunities? Do they offer therapy? Do they offer access to religious services? Do they offer these opportunities for them to do better? Then maybe you send them out there and give them a fighting chance in that regard. A lot of prisons do not at all. Yeah. And this is going to sound sort of shitty based upon the first WTF segment. Mm. But Perhaps, and I know that requiring people to do things is sort of shitty, but maybe in this instance, if you are in prison and you do not have your high school diploma or a GED, maybe getting your GED should be a requirement and classes should be offered to teach people and train them to get their GED. I know it can be done because my stepmom used to teach at a prison doing that, helping mm -hmm. people learn so that they can pass the GED test. I heard it too. Yep. And uh, she also uh, taught junior college level courses at a prison, which is really funny because to think of my stepmom doing that, when I think of her doing that, it always weirds me out because my stepmom is four foot ten. <laughs> and I bet you she commanded mad respect from them guys. I know she did. Probably because she <laughs> went in there. Mm -hmm. But normally I don't feel that you should 
force people to do something. In this instance, forcing someone to get their GED, even though they may not see it at the moment, is a benefit later. It's something. And it's a, it's a step forward. Yeah. And and, I, and, and, and you know, I, 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 I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. Oh, no, I understand. It, it, it's a frustrating sort of topic. It is. And I hope I speak for both of us when I say that we may sound a little cavalier in saying all this stuff because we have no idea and the universe willing, we will have no idea of what it's like to come out of prison. But I think in any instance, whether you end up in that circumstance by your own actions or otherwise, anytime you hit some obstruction or some some span in your life that's extremely difficult to work through. And the thing, there's only one thing to do is to work through it because it's not going to go anywhere. I think taking small steps at a time does something. It means something. That's how I feel about it. Like I said, I don't want to sound cavalier or try to minimize what people in prison go through to an extent because there's just some people who need to be thrown under the jail for the rest of their lives but i digress <laughs> right but we're we're not talking about like the worst of the worst sure you know what i mean mm-hmm. we're talking about people that are legitimately going to get out of prison right and you know they're just trying to survive and that's why they do work programs and my feeling we're doing a disservice because you are in effect those are um you know 23 cents an hour in 2020 is practically slave labor when child laborers in you know small asian countries are making more money than you are in the u.s there's a problem (laughs) you 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 most certainly have people out here protesting that fact on a regular basis the and the reason why nobody reason why a lot of people won't protest this it's because people in prison obviously got there through some fault of their own. So right. and they probably deserve it or they don't deserve any better. I think that's just the prevailing thought of yeah. why this isn't people don't kick up as much dust for something yeah. like this. And my thought is sort of what we've talked about. Sometimes being shitty to people takes more work than just doing the kind thing. Mm hmm. Are you going to have a certain percentage of people if you really worked on rehabilitation that commit crimes and end up back in prison? Of course you are. I'm not stupid. Yeah. But if you were to help people get GED, offer, even if it's, you know, I'm not saying a four-year degree and, you know, master's degrees and PhDs. But if somebody could earn an associate's degree while they're in prison, or I understand Votex make it hard. You probably don't want somebody having like the tools of an electrician while they're in prison. I I do kind of get that. Or but, a rock or a rock hammer. Right. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> then they're gonna they're gonna go through two hundred feet of shit. <laughs> and never a big clear. <laughs> <laughs> but 
you know, oh. my point is, is first of all, we need to pay somebody a decent, I'm not even saying, you know, 15 bucks an hour. I'm just saying minimum wage. Something. But so, so that when you leave, you at least have a couple of months worth of money that you could live off of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, offer counseling to, for people so that they can work through maybe whatever issues helped contribute to them being in prison. Absolutely. Yep. Get somebody their GED, because if you have no GED or high school diploma and you're a felon, You've just made yourself even more unemployable than just being a, you know, a felon out of prison. Mm-hmm. And I use that term because that's, I've known several people that have come out of prison and that's how they refer to ex-inmates when they're getting jobs as a felon. Right. So then you got two strikes against you <laughs> versus just the one because then it's, well, not only do you have this, but you don't have, you know, a GED or a high school diploma. So... Solve at least one of those issues, which probably is a hell of a lot cheaper to help people get their GEDs than to have to incarcerate them for a second 10-year period. To add to that, let's say they do get hired on relatively quickly. Good deal. And there's a decent wage involved with it. Sure. But... You've got employers who know that they can take advantage of these people. Right. Because they're one of the few employers that will hire felons. And yep. so, so what if we don't offer them full benefits? Oh, right. Yeah. So what if we, you know, cut overtime or don't offer overtime? Or so what if we couple uh, cut some hours off to push them from full time to part time? So right. what? Only have them work all, 31 hours a week instead of 32. Right, right. So what if we do? Where else are they going to go? You know, unfortunately, you have employers that have that mindset. So it's a whole host of things right. financially that, yeah. you know, someone coming out of prison has to contend with. And, and that's sort of a, another thought that I had had about this when I was researching it. The other thing that needs to happen while people are still in prison and maybe it doesn't even need to happen until you know you're within a year of being eligible for parole or even if you've never got parole you're coming to the end of your sentence so let's just say a year before that happens classes also need to be given on how to survive the modern world if you went to prison in 2005 2022 is a whole different freaking world YouTube did not exist mm-hmm. in 2005 when you went to prison. Mm-hmm. Smartphones did not exist when that person went to prison. Mm-hmm. There are so many ways that this world is different. And if you are not prepared, just the shock alone from that might be enough to make you start doing drugs, turn to alcohol recommit a crime because you don't feel like I can't handle this new world. This new world is insane. Start giving class on top of this is how you balance a checkbook. 
this is how you run your debit card because people don't use checkbooks anymore, but you still have a debit card, but you need to know what you got in your account because mm -hmm. you don't want to get overdraft. And it's just small things like that, you know, as dumb as it sounds, this is how you pay your bills. You don't I mean, write a check and send it in anymore. You have to have an online account. You have to go in and pay it online via debit card. Somebody that went to prison in 2003 doesn't know that. And not, it's not dumb at all. You know, you're right on point with that. Because I think, here's my pop culture moment. Did you ever see that movie Life with Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence? Yeah. So you know how long the two of them, their characters stayed in jail. They came out, it was the 70s. And they had been in there, what, 35 years? Something like that. 35, 40, something like that. Like the and these, they were old men by the time yeah. they got out, and the culture shock. I think that was it, as funny as that movie still is. I think that was one of the more serious moments when I think it was Martin Lawrence's character who gets out and he's walking down the street. You know, he's just taking in everything that's going on around him. Like we're talking about the age of <clears throat> afros and bell bottoms. And, you know, blacks and whites coexisting with each other out in the street. That wasn't happening when he went to prison. Yeah. Like that was major culture shock for those two characters. And I think about that, that, that scene a lot. And it's like, I can't imagine trying to navigate what is essentially a whole new world after 30 years. And just like you said, with the way technology has ramped up. We get new, newer and newer things in less and less time. So really, you could go in for five or seven years and come out and something be completely different. Yeah. And it, we, we're not helping the person who comes out of prison, I don't feel, in the appropriate way. I'm not saying that you, if you commit a crime that you should not go to jail and do whatever. I'm not saying that that shouldn't be the case. However, also society-wise, sometimes our society does thing in a certain way that almost can make somebody end up in prison. I, I don't know if I'm wording that correctly. I, I see what you're saying. They're just, they know they're getting judged. And, and right. feeling like you're being judged makes you resentful as hell. And, and that resentment grows and grows and grows and it grow, and turns into frustration. And then right. out of all of that, you do something regrettable again. And, yeah. And, you know, once again, this is a, I don't, I'm not necessarily, although I know that it contributes viewing it as a, is like a white or a black thing because it does happen to all races you know poor white trash end up in prison frequently as well and they would be in the same boat as the guy from compton who yep. might be a blood or a crip or whatever mm -hmm. and my point is is once somebody gets in prison we need to as a society do the things so that maybe instead of, I don't know, 60% of people going back to jail, let's see if we can't knock that down 
over a 10-year span to 50, and then 40, and then 20, and then 10. And give people that are coming out, let's set them up for success. You know a little bit about how the world operates now, so you get out and it's not a shock. Go find videos of somebody that was uh, wrongfully in prison and they get out after 20, 25 years because DNA proves they didn't do it. That's one of the things that they always talk about is how different the world is. Mm -hmm. But we need Absolutely. to teach somebody, this is how you pay your bills in today's world. Checkbooks are non-existent. You, you still need to know what you have in your account. But this is how you do it. You go online and you check. You pay mm -hmm. your bills online. You do this online. You do everything from your phone. You have the power of the world in your pocket. This is how you apply for a job mm -hmm. in today's world. You don't do it. You don't apply for a job like you did in 1995. It's different now. Mm -hmm. And help people get a GED. Help people maybe take some college courses. And so I would have to think from an employer's standpoint, if someone comes in and they apply for a job, they have their GED you know 30 hours of community college because that's on there do you have any college yeah i have you know 30 hours mm -hmm. maybe that will overweigh some of the well that person was you know let's take a chance on this person because clearly they did this while they were you know they tried to better themselves while they were in prison let's give this person a chance and i don't mean like they to be like jerky or whatever, just like the general, <laughs> you know, yeah. term of they. Mm -hmm. And this would be something that if you really think about it long term, benefits society as a whole. Having a large scale prison industrial complex with large number of people in prison does nothing for the country that's good other than getting, you know, murderers off the street. But long term for society... We don't want people to go back to prison. No. Let's do stuff to make them not. You want to, as is always, you know, the, the thing, help people. You got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Well, let's set these people, you know, the, this person up so that they can do that. <laughs> and yeah. you don't reoffend or you come out of prison and you're so overwhelmed that you get drunk. And then the next thing you know, you're robbing the 7-Eleven and then you're back in prison. Or, you know, you could have just come home from a long tour, um, having spent the better part of your army career in the special forces and beat dog shit out of the man that was trying to hit on your wife at the bar and then be sent to prison because uh, due to your special military training, your hands are considered lethal weapons. You could be that guy. Yeah. But even he deserves another chance. Yeah to foil the plans of fellow convicts trying to take over the convict plane, transporting him back home to his beautiful wife and daughter. But, you know, yeah, things happen. And if we were all judged on our worst mistakes, a lot of us would not be worth chewed gum. <laughs> yeah. It just sort of occurred to me that strangely this fit in with my WTF because three of those guys, if they're not careful, are going to end up needing some of these work programs in prison. <laughs> It'd be kind of funny to see Mo Brooks getting paid 23 cents. Although he's white and old, he'd probably get the dollar fifteen. 
<laughs> he he would manage the prison library. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. He would. He would. <laughs> he's like, he'd be like, I got that, I got that new uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Like it would be new for yeah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I could just see it now. Some some guy walking in, he's like, got any, yo, got anything new for me, man? Well, you know, I just got in this new series of the works by Emily Bronte. Perhaps you would like these. <laughs> he's looking at him like, a what? <laughs> but yeah, I... It, this is always a tricky topic because like I, like I said earlier, you have people that are convinced that people that find themselves in prison, whatever put them there, don't deserve to be compensated for these kinds of things. And that's, if you sit and you allow for that to happen too much longer, again, Right now, we're looking at the effects of, of looking at your fellow human being and seeing them mistreated to an extent and thinking that it won't happen to you until it does. Yeah. That, that's kind of how I, I feel about this situation. And like I said, they, they have so many other things to contend with while in prison. And then yeah. while they get out, it's like you said, unfortunately for a lot, and I, I could not say off the top of my head how many, but for a lot of them, it's too much. They yeah. would pref they would prefer the consistency in the the devil that they know, so to speak, in what prison has to offer, as opposed right. to now this outside world where nothing is guaranteed, moment to moment. Yeah, and you I know, get it. Oddly enough, and I feel horrible that you know you've got a lot yeah. of them out there that think that way. Oh, I do too, and you know. Prison is awful. The highest percentage, if you break things down stat-wise, of people that are raped in the United States are male inmates in prison. And it's like two or three times anyone else. That's clearly horrible. Mm -hmm. And somebody may be a prisoner, but they still have, they're still human and they have humanity. Mm-hmm. And we need to respect that humanity. And you almost have to wonder at what point in the, in someone's life did not being treated with humanity also contribute to where you ended up. Correct. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that doesn't matter if you're, you know, Arab, Asian, white, black, Latino, Native American, Polish. You know, if at some point something has happened that has led you on the path that you took. Mm -hmm. But we still, as the outside population, need to have the compassion to do the things so that maybe prison is just a one-time thing. And we have to, and the way you do that is to set somebody up with a little bit of success when they leave prison. Some, some, some foundation that they can stand, stand on Yeah. when they leave. Just like you said, because unfortunately, a lot of them 
that come out don't have a support system. They didn't have anybody visiting them while they were there. They don't have anybody that writes them letters. They don't have anybody that's been sending them money for commissary. So when they get out, like you said, where can they go? Who can they turn to? So it turns out to be an issue more than, you know, whether or not they're going to be financially stable. Like, are they going to be emotionally stable? Right. You know, and then, and I think I may have mentioned this before, anything in this society that affects anyone negatively tends to affect um, people of color disproportionately so. So when you talk about, you know, the prison population overall, while Black people make up roughly still 13% of the U.S. population, they make up about a third of the prison population. Right. And a lot of that does have to do with the laws that put them there in the beginning with. We're talking about, you know, um, disproportionate sentencing and charging and things of that nature and that's a different conversation altogether that's a yeah that's a whole other podcast yes (laughs) (laughs) that that might be a series of podcasts but i say that because once out you know unfortunately those particular former inmates find even more obstacles in their way Mm because now they're looking at the things that they were already confronted with before that mm, possibly contributed to why they did what they did. And again, keep in mind that it only takes a matter of seconds to do the absolute wrong thing. Yep. So that had, may have been just a matter of seconds or a matter of minutes, a moment that changed the trajectory of your life forever. And you're no longer the person that you were in that moment, but you know, how do you convince somebody of that? Yeah. Once you're out and you, like you said, served your time and paid your fines and done what you were supposed to do in so-called paid your debt how do you convince somebody that to give you a chance to be able to reestablish some sense of nobility i guess you'd stay while you're out there and not be just humanity not even nobility just humanity and i guess the question is which is which is the better path to take spend more money up front so that somebody when they do leave is set up for a slightly higher chance of success, a higher chance of success and not going back or to just keep sending people back within two years of getting out. Cause over the, over the course of 50 years, that is the more expensive option. Yeah. And mm. it starts with the, you're not even humanity. You know, you don't even have enough humanity that we're going to even pay you minimum wage. Even if it was freaking five bucks an hour, still not good enough. Minimum wage to me is where you start, but five bucks an hour over 10 years is a hell of better than 23 cent. I'm just now thinking about this. It's not just, you know, the little pennies that they pay them for doing, you know, whatever work they're doing while in prison. It's oftentimes the conditions of prisons themselves. Yeah, yeah, that's a giant shit show. I do, because I have heard some things that make my hair stand up like, wow. Yeah, and and that's just like prison, prison. 
that doesn't include the stuff that happens to people that go to city jails. Hmm. Say, say you have, I don't know, you get pulled over for speeding and you don't pay the ticket off. Well, eventually a warrant gets sent for you. And then generally what happens is if you don't have the money to pay the fines of the original ticket, court cause, yada, 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 you get the, what happens frequently is a judge will send you to, well, we're going to put you in jail for 30 days. Mm. However, there's a little known law that most people don't realize is that the city can actually charge you for the cost of keeping you in prison. Correct. Yes. They so you each day is worth X amount of dollars or yeah. fines. Yeah. E each day costs the city 25 bucks to house you in the city jail. Mm -hmm. So on top of, yeah, your 30 days may pay off your other fines that you no longer have to pay because you're paying them off by being in jail. You still might end up, your 30 days may end up being 60 days because you then spend the next 30 days paying off the bill of housing you for the full 60 days. And so once again, people, when you're in a city thing, you want to do stuff like go and clean vomit out of the back of the police cars because you get paid more money doing that. That's another conversation unto itself. But once again, right. How people that, get trapped by court costs and fees and Right. <laughs> that, that's a whole other thing, but it does oh, tie gosh. in in that, that it does. it's somebody that's in a uh, jail prison situation. Mm -hmm. yep. So is is this an incredibly complicated thing? Yeah. Mm. But I do think that while complicated, there are some things that if you start doing would probably help. Yeah, and again, I think that's what's kind of like running through my head, how complicated and how interwoven that piece of, of the story is, because there's so many other things that factor into it as well. Just like you said, before, you know, someone commits a crime or does what they do to get sentenced, how they get sentenced, what they get sentenced for, where they get sent, what's the, you know, what's the setup on whether or not they get eligible for parole, what's the deal with that, good behavior, what can they get time? There's so much stuff that can really affect their mental, their mental state. And mm -hmm. I and to your point, that's a lot of what I believe, and I think you would agree. I think that's what that's obviously what affects someone's mindset as to whether or not they're going to do this, this, that, and the third. Sometimes it's an instant. Sometimes it happens without thinking. I get that. But then sometimes there is those, those split seconds right there before you do anything that you had to think, do I need to do this or can I do something else? Yep. And once again, pull up Shawshank Redemption. Redemption. He had to go to prison to learn how to be a criminal. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. <laughs> but yeah. Um, I, Listening friends, if you, well, hopefully you've listened to all of this episode. Um, I'm not sure what actions we can take other than get involved. Maybe I'm sure there are programs for people that have been released. Mm -hmm. uh, get involved, find out more, talk to your state legislatures. You know, let's see if things can't be done so that we treat people 
decently so that they don't reoffend to use the the vernacular that people use mm-hmm. like somewhere in there there's got to be just even just a little bit of wiggle room to get in there and say you know what you know we give a shit as to whether or not you do any better with your life not just for society's sake but for your own you know yeah. someone in there has to has really has to be willing to just like you said in from for us you know at, at the citizen level yes find out those avenues that you can take if you can volunteer if you can help set up programs or whatever the case may be but at the same time it really all comes down to who you have representing representing you at the government level you know in your mm-hmm. local government and on up and on up the ladder it really does depend on because those laws have a lot to do with it as well yeah so think about who you know who you have in your local area representing you yep how you can how you can advocate for what you'd like to see yep and you know just because somebody is currently in prison has been in prison is awaiting trial to go to prison a person still needs and i believe me i know it is difficult sometimes but you still need to treat somebody with humanity. And like we say, start with love. And even though it probably is difficult in a lot of situations like that, and if you're the victim of somebody that has done something in prison, I'm totally saying, maybe in your case, if you don't do something, that's cool. I I, I get that. We understand completely. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, My point really is I just wanted to, to talk about this because it is something that yes people are responsible for their actions mm-hmm. but at the same time as society we have a part in making sure that maybe someone doesn't do it again yeah like at, at what at what point can we stop perpetrating the assumption that this is all that this person is ever going to be right. at what at what point can we adopt healthier mindsets so when we say prison is supposed to be redemptive and they've paid their set their debt to society at what point do the rest of us agree because yep. i'll tell you what people still giving michael vick hell after all these years hell and i yes. by no means will ever say what he and you know his folks were involved with was right i would never say it but he did his time he paid his debt He's done absolutely nothing since he got let, and people will still insist he be burned in effigy at stake. That's another story into itself. But right, right. <laughs> so anyway, holy crap! Did we record for a long time? Uh, mm-hmm. Thank goodness this is. You've agreed to edit this episode. <laughs> Fantastic! <laughs> I have. I have next week off so that's great (laughs) (laughs) heck this one's almost long enough that we can make it a (laughs) two-parter goodness gracious (laughs) anyway um well clearly we've been going for a while here so i'm gonna go ahead and say goodbye (laughs) and uh we'll catch you on the next one friends (laughs) bye everybody 
as always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review, hit that like button, and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Your feedback is valuable, and we welcome it. If you would like to contact, connect with, or just want to see what we talk about between episodes, you can find us on Facebook under our podcast name, on Instagram at K-A-Y-A-N-D-J-A-Y-S-T-W, our website, podpage.com slash Kenyatta-Jack-Save-The-World, or email at k.j.savetheworld at gmail.com. If you would like to learn about and contribute to our chosen charities, you can do so at Service Dog Project at servicedogproject.org and Black Women's Health Initiative at bwhi.org. Kenyatta and Jack Save the World is a product of Hyper Focus Podcasts.